I'm back at this house again. Why this house? Wait, it's this house, but it isn't. This one has dark hardwood floors that seem to be part of the foundation. The dogs I lived with in this house are with me, the ones that came here when I was three, but I don't actually see them. They're always just out of my line of sight. Are they ghosts? Is there such a thing as ghost dogs? I've lost everything, either in the move here or when things fell apart, which is why I'm back here, back to this foundation. But who did it all fall apart for? I've arrived empty-handed, nothing with me, no furniture, no boxes of books and clothing. Just these ghost dogs. I look in the hall cabinet and find some thin white blankets and packing material that were left behind. So at the very least there's something to cover ourselves with when we curl up to sleep on the floor. Wallace is with me, but I don't think Simone is. Just the room I've decided is hers. I'm thinking about calling an old friend to tell him we're back in town. But I need to find my cell phone. Where is it? Before I can ask Wallace if I can borrow hers, she says she's making us coffee. Though I don't know how, since there's nothing in the kitchen to make it with. But she says two people are joining us, and we're going to need coffee for what we'll be dealing with. We're all gathered around the patio table out back, drinking that coffee before going to unpack the things they brought with them in their car. The two of them are discussing their work in the CIA and how our skills fit into the big picture. The man is explaining all of it when something catches my eye just over the woman's shoulder. From where I'm sitting I can see the skyline is choked by a thick, column of smoke coming from the Capitol building, so thick and black it takes on the shape of a demon, as if it's been chiseled out of some dark god's awful intentions, and he's breathed life into it as a signal. And I know this. The Capitol has been taken by the entities which that god has birthed into our world. When I tell the others to look, they can't see what I see. I'm the only one with the vision to see it. The woman with us looks in the opposite direction, and my eyes follow. A giant ball of smoke and fire is moving this way rapidly, heading straight at us. It rides just above the ground with the deadly fury of a living, breathing thing. I know we've got no time to spare and have to get out of there fast. I shout at everyone to get in my car because it's the fastest, even though with five of us it will be cramped because of the dogs. Where are the dogs? I run into the house and try to make a call on Wallace's phone because I never did find mine, and my old friend will want to know about the approaching danger. Her phone is round encased in gold like a pocket watch with large black numbers. 
I can't figure out how to dial out with it. The two from the CIA are doing gymnastics to limber up before shit gets real, including backflips by rappelling off the wall. I know I'm a part of this team, but my position has more to do with that demon headed our way than it does with being prepared for hand-to-hand combat. I step back out onto the patio briefly to look at the Capitol building as we run into the house. The demon chiseled out of that block of black smoke has broken up into pieces. Those pieces are being swept our way by the wind. My job is to make sure we're protected from that. The gymnastics I've needed to prepare for it are what I've been doing all my life by not running from what I am. Mine has been the foundation of a psychic warrior, a skill that's developed in darkness, and it all started in this house. The childhood house I left at the age of six, but never really left, because whatever it's haunted with came with me. I run back to my bedroom, and now it's twilight. Everything's changed, and the room is no longer empty. My childhood furniture and curtains are here, the ones with the dragonfly print, and the wallpaper with the cherries that Mom said belongs in the kitchen, but I insisted the dragonflies would love. I turn to see myself laying in my little bed watching the light fade. From the corner of my eye I notice movement. I turn my head to the wall in time to see them come through it, first blending in with the wallpaper and then stepping away from it into fully formed people. Their clothing still matches the wallpaper as they approach the side of my bed. Cherries. There's three of them and I'm afraid. I think maybe if I lay very still, they'll think I'm asleep and go away. But they don't. They just stand there, by the bed, staring with those big, dark eyes. They look like people, but they don't. Not as tall as Mom and Dad, but one of them, the tallest, must be the Dad pretty sure he's the dad. The other is the mom, I'm sure of that. And the smallest one is their girl. Is she my sister? I want to ask, but I'm too afraid to say anything, too afraid to cry out or move or even breathe deeply. Who are you? Their mouths don't move as they answer. It's not like I'm hearing what they're saying. It's more like I feel it, like their thoughts are just arriving in my head, and now they're my thoughts. Family, I feel them say. The sun is up, and I go out into the backyard to do what they told me to do. I sit in the lawn and dig my little fingers down into the ground, pulling up grass and soil, 
Some of the grass has dried golden like the morning sun. I hold it all in the palm of my hand and feel the life in it. There's a little bug clinging to some of it, and I look up at the bird feeding a bug to her young in the nest she built with dried grass, and I know it's connected, because that's what the three told me. I look across the wire fence of the horse in the neighbor's pasture. As he eats the same kind of grass I'm holding in my hand, he's leaving droppings behind him. The soil is fed by those droppings, and new grass sprouts from it. All different kinds of grasses. A tiny field mouse munches on a seed from one of them. I hear a hawk cry and watch him swoop down from above and snatch the tiny field mouse between his talons. I watch as it returns to the sky, flying higher and higher toward the sun, and I know it's all connected, all of it, and I'm connected to all of it by what I'm holding in my hand. And I know this because the three told me to pay attention to the connections. I stand up, and cross back into the house, and three years have passed. The house is empty except for the packing boxes. There is nothing in my room but that wallpaper. I wonder if they'll come with me to where we're going. If not, will they be able to find me? I've long since stopped being afraid of them. They're the only ones who understand me who make me feel loved, the only ones I feel connected to. Their family. We spent the night at my aunt and uncle's farmhouse before leaving on our long trip far away to our new house. I'm upstairs in the bed facing the doorway at the top of the stairs. My cousins fell asleep right away, but I'm laying here listening to the sound of the grown-ups talking and laughing, the clink of glasses, the soft drift of my uncle's pipe smoke tickling my nose, soft music. Through the din I hear footsteps coming up the stairs. Slow, steady, deliberate, not trying to tiptoe. I wonder if it's one of the uncles coming to say goodbye. He reaches the top of the stairs and stands just outside the doorway. The hall light is behind him, and I can't see his face. But he's tall and wears a dark suit and overcoat the way one of the uncles always does and a hat like he wears, but never indoors. My aunt would never allow it. And this man is far too tall to be that uncle. He's so tall he has to stoop to get through the doorway. How is it I know he's bald without him taking off that hat? More importantly, how is he talking to me the same way the three always talk to me? His words are like theirs. They arrive in my mind as a knowing, not in sounds, but in feeling. He's saying 
the three won't be coming with me to my new home. They can't come to where I'm going. They sent him to say goodbye for them and to remind me to always stay connected. I'm facing some difficult times, but as long as I remember to stay connected, I'll be okay. I will always be protected. In time, the opposition will make sure I forget them altogether. If I remember anything, it will be that I had three loving pets who were always with me. No, I don't want to forget them. I don't want to go where I'm going without them. Why can't they come with me? I'll be all alone without them. You won't ever be alone. The thoughts reach me through my tears. You've got what they gave you, your daemon, and you've got me. Take care of your daemon, and I will always be here. I didn't know that word, daemon, but I knew the feeling of it, the feeling of home, of growth and renewal and transformation. I knew what it felt like to be watched over and cared for. I knew it as certainly as I knew this pain of saying goodbye and these tears. Through those tears I watched the tall man fade until there's nothing in the doorway but a dragonfly hovering where he'd been standing. It flies to me and hovers in front of my face before flying up and perching on top of my head. At that very moment, I know our connection. I also know I will only see the tall man in dreams, unless it's very, very important, like it was this time. I wake to the sound of a bus with a dragonfly painted on the side of it and a mug of undrinkable tea being shoved in my face. I sit sipping the concoction Marina insists will help repair the damaged connection with my daemon and think about the most confusing part of the dream, that ball of smoke and fire coming toward us while we prepared to battle demons coming from the Capitol building. Was it my confusion that led me to be so distracted in the dream that I wasted time playing with that strange phone instead of focusing on the approaching firestorm and demonic energy coming from the capital? Why was I not considering how the two were connected since they both appeared at the same time from opposite directions? What did all of it have to do with the tall man and those people who walked through the wall. Why was the floor made of a darker wood than I remember that childhood home having, and why did it seem to be part of the foundation? There was something about too much of the dream that felt different, like it wasn't actually a dream. What was it then, and what was up with those ghost dogs. We never had any dogs in that house. 
Dad was allergic. When is a dream not a dream? I said to Marina as she plopped down on the bench seat across from me. When it's a memory, she replied. Welcome to the Abuela Express. No one can mess with your memories or your dreams when you're in a rolling Faraday cage. <laughs>